All right, good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Dave Everett, and this is my wife, Sherry. And uh, thank you for joining us at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We're going to have our Bible study tonight on the true nature of God. And I believe this is part three, uh, part three of our series. And we're actually going to be in chapter two tonight. Uh, we actually finished chapter one last week, and so we're going to be talking about God's grace in the Old Testament, which is kind of a continuation of what we left off in chapter one last week. So, Anyway, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, we're going to be joining our Bible study. Uh, we're going to be going to do in our Bible study, but thank you for joining us. And uh, you can also follow us on our, our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. All of our Bible studies up to this point have been archived on our website as well as our YouTube channel. And so, uh, which is kind of cool because ever since we've been starting this and uh, uh, different things, uh, we've actually had almost 600 new uh, subscribers on our YouTube channel. So it's pretty cool. Uh, we're, we're growing So uh, in, in that regard. So anyway, uh, once we're all set up here tech with our technological stuff, I can't get that word out, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Sherry will be our narrator tonight, and then we'll, we'll uh, talk about uh, what we're reading and what we're talking about. So, all right. Feel free to make any comments below. Uh, feel free to say hello, where you're from. Uh, any prayer requests, make them there. You can make them there. If it's more private, you can reach out to us on our website, our our email address, our messenger, however you choose to do so. So, all right. So, chapter two. Uh, the title of this chapter again is uh, God's grace in the Old Testament. All right. You are probably asking, well, if Jesus represents the true nature of God, just exactly what was God doing in the Old Testament? The Word of God reveals what God was doing. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Romans 5.13 When we use the term law, we can be referring to all of the Old Testament. But the law used in the context of this scripture is more specific. When we say law here, we are referring to the Mosaic law, which includes the Ten Commandments, judgments, punishments, and all of the ordinances and ceremonial observances. Romans 5.13 shows us that before the law, or before the law of Moses was introduced, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. The word impute means to take what has been done and apply it to one's account or to hold transgressions against someone. In other words, until God gave the law to Moses, sin was not being held against people. Okay. Go ahead, Most people's concept of God is that the moment sin entered the Garden of Eden, the wrath of God began to be released upon mankind. People believed that God was holy and that man was unholy. Therefore, God separated man from himself and drove Adam and Eve from his presence because his holiness could not stand to look upon sinful flesh. But there was a period of time from Adam until Moses that God dealt with people out of love, mercy, and forgiveness instead of wrath and judgment. Now, of course, I believe God is holy, and I know that man is sinful. But God's love is so great that he did not just expel man from his presence. As a whole, God dealt in mercy toward man, and until the law was given, he did not impute their sins, 
hold those sins against them. Sin entered the world when Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Let's take a good look at how God dealt with them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Genesis 3, and 23. When you see therefore, you're always supposed to look and see what it's there for. So therefore means this verse is tying in with what was said previously. It links the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden with what was just said. What would happen if God didn't send them out? He didn't want them to eat of the tree of life because if they did, all of mankind would live forever in their sinfulness. God did not God did not send them out because he couldn't tolerate mankind. Adam and Eve transgressed against God, but he did not expel them from his presence. The presence of God went with Adam and Eve and their descendants outside the Garden of Eden. I'm going to show you that even after Adam and Eve sinned and left the garden, God was still walking and talking with them in the cool of the evening. He was still fellowshipping with them. Contrary to what most people have thought, a holy God was still fellowshipping and present with sinful mankind. The reason God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden was because he loved them so much, he didn't want them to partake of the tree of life and live forever in bodies that were corrupted by sin. Sin gave Satan the opportunity to put sickness, disease, and all kinds of curses on man. Can you imagine what it would be like to have cancer destroying your body, and yet because you'd eaten of the tree of life, you couldn't die? Can you imagine what it would be like to live for all eternity with diseases destroying your body, yet you couldn't die from them? It was God's mercy that sent mankind out of the garden and away from the tree of life. For a person who knows God and accepts his provision, a glorious glorified body is coming that won't be subject to the things that this earthly body is subject to now in this life. God sent Adam and Eve out of the garden because he didn't want them and us to live forever in corrupted bodies, subject to all of the things we are subject to because of sin. In Genesis 4, we see that God was still fellowshipping with mankind after the fall outside the garden. We know that because God was talking to Cain and Abel. How did Cain and Abel know to bring a sacrifice? How did they know to bring a blood sacrifice and give the first fruits of their labor to God? Adam and Eve didn't have blood sacrifices explained to them in the garden because they had no transgressions to atone for yet. The Bible doesn't say this outright, but it's evident to me that God was still talking with Adam and and even and Adam and Eve and with Cain and Abel. He was talking and communicating with them because they understood about sacrifices and how to approach him. After Cain and Abel offered their sacrifices, Genesis 4-5 says, But unto Cain and to his offering, he, God, had not respect. It says that God did not respect Cain's offering. 
How did they know God did not respect Cain's offering? If you and your brother came and offered a sacrifice today, how would you know which one God respected and which one he didn't? As a born-again Christian, you would have a witness of God in your spirit. But Cain and Abel weren't born-again Christians, so they didn't have God inside them. It's evident that God was talking to them. They were aware that he was walking, talking, and fellowshipping with them because Genesis 4, 6 says, The Lord said unto Cain. Here, we have God speaking to Cain in an audible voice, just as he had spoken to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord said unto Cain, why art, thou, why art thou wroth, and why is their countenance fallen? If thou dost, doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Genesis 4, 6, and 7. God was talking face to face with Cain and Abel. As I stated earlier, most people think that God had to separate man from his presence because God was, excuse me, because man was unholy and God was so holy that there could be no fellowship. That's the concept most people have developed, but it's not proven or taught by scripture. When Cain saw God respected Abel's sacrifice more than his, he was overcome with jealousy and killed Abel in anger. The Bible shows us that God spoke to Cain about it. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Genesis 4, 9. Now stop and think about this. Here's the very first murder on the face of the earth, and while he still had the blood of Abel on his hands, an audible voice from God said, Where is Abel your brother? What would you do if you just murdered someone, still had the murder weapon in your hand, and God spoke to you in an audible voice? You would probably die of a heart attack. You might do a lot of things, but you wouldn't just turn around and say, I don't know where he is, God. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you know why Cain did that? He was used to talking to God. He talked to God every day. It wasn't unusual. There had to be a familiarity with the audible voice of God. God was still walking and talking with man even after sin entered the world and mankind was expelled from the Garden of Eden. He was not imputing sin to or holding their trespasses against them. God was not treating them the way the Old Testament law has revealed sin should be treated. He was operating in love, mercy, and forgiveness. Still, God showed his dis uh, disapproval of God Cain's killing Abel and let Cain know what the consequences, consequences would be. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. Genesis 4, 11 and 12. Cain became fearful and said, God, I'm going to be a vagabond and wandering throughout the earth, and anybody who finds me is going to try to kill me. Genesis 4, 14. Do you know what God did? Instead of bringing judgment on the very first murderer on the face of the earth, God put a mark upon him and protected him. Whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. 
Genesis 4.15. Now, isn't that contrary to popular religious ideas? God did not approve of the murder, but he protected the first murderer. In contrast, under the Old Testament law, if a man went out and picked up sticks on the Sabbath day, God commanded the man to be stoned to death. Numbers 15.35. God protected Cain, who murdered a man, but he commanded Moses to stone to death someone who only picked up sticks on the Sabbath day. Doesn't that look inconsistent? It looks like the man who picked up sticks on the Sabbath day got the wrong end of the deal. The reason it looks that way is because until the law came, God was not holding man's sins against him. He was overlooking, not imputing sin in regards to man's fellowship with him. All right, thank you, Sherry. I know that was a, excuse me, a long section to read. Uh, we're, again, we're in our uh, book, The True Nature of God. <coughs> we're in chapter 2. And we started, it was a uh, kind of lengthy section. I had her read past, past the first uh, benchmark there because it wasn't a lot to, to piggyback on. I'll incorporate it with what we'll talk about now. So we're in the second chapter. And what we're uh, talking about, or getting ready to talk about a little bit more, uh, and just barely uh, setting the stage here, even though we read it quite a bit, is grace in the Old Testament. You know, the God, the grace of God, the gospel is preached in the Old Testament just as well as the New. Now, the Old Testament is a foreshadow. It's a shadow. So it's not the real thing. It's not everything that happened in the Old Testament is real. So don't, give me the, I'm not, so don't misunderstand me. But the real thing is Christ. The real message is Christ. And, and, you know, we have, to, we have to resolve this from the beginning, from everything. Everything is always going to point to Christ. Old Testament forward to Christ. Now, in this day and age, back towards Christ. And Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But everything's going to point to Christ. Christ is a cornerstone. But the Old Testament is a foreshadow of what Christ is going to do. And what Christ is and what not. Um, and so, so the gospel is preaching the old, and, it's, and you can see it in the old. But for most of us, it's easier to see it in the New Testament first, and then go back and see it in the Old Testament. If you don't understand Christ, if you don't understand the gospel, it's going to be hard for you to see it. Because in the Old Testament, you got to remember, it was a mystery. But the mystery is revealed to us in Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the Old Testament, it's a, it's a mystery. And Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's a veil over people's hearts uh, when reading the Old Testament. But when Christ is preached, the veil is removed. So we need to understand Christ first. We need to understand that because if we don't, when we're, I take it as a, a set of glasses, and I don't know if you've ever seen the, the movie National Treasure, uh, the first one. And uh, they finally find these special set of glasses. And depending on how they, 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 they maneuver the glasses uh, that Benjamin Franklin uh, supposedly uh, created or invented, uh, they could read the, the, invisible, the invisible map. Uh, correctly, or they could see different aspects. Sometimes, if we don't see things through the, through the lens of Christ, when we read Scripture, especially the Old Testament, we could be reading with the wrong lens, and we're not going to see the true message behind it. Now, there's some other, there's some beautiful stories in there, and they're very meaningful and they're very uh, purposeful, and we can learn some lessons from those. But they should bring us to Christ. She just said, Jesus said it this way in John, I think it's John chapter four. He says. 
You search the scriptures for they testify of me. Now, let me just, uh, I've said the scripture many times over the last few weeks, but uh, scripture. What's the word scripture? You know, we, uh, when, many times you'll see Jesus, Paul, especially those two, uh, uh, quote, and they'll, they'll use the word scripture in the New Testament. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Paul's letters. I think sometimes you might see it in Peter and James, whatnot. But especially Paul and Jesus, you'll, see, you'll, you'll hear the word scripture. Now, when they use the word scripture, the New Testament didn't exist yet. They were writing it. Or some of it hadn't even been written yet. Uh, I, believe the New Te- I believe the New Testament is scripture. Don't get me wrong. But when they penned those, that word scripture, the Old Testament didn't exist yet. The New Testament. I mean, the, 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 the New Testament didn't exist yet. Yeah, thank you. Um, I know what I was thinking, but it came out wrong. So when they actually penned the words, the New Testament didn't exist yet. Now, we believe it is scripture, so don't get me wrong. But if you want to be technical, when they pen those words, scripture is actually the Old Testament. And I have a whole teaching on this. I'm not going to teach it all right now. But um, scripture is referring to uh, the different ways it's, it's phrased in the, in the New Testament. It's called the Law and the Prophets most of the time. Or it's used called scripture. Or it's uh, also called... Uh, the law, the prophet, the, the law, the, the, the law, the prophets, and the psalms. One time Jesus uh, mentioned it that way, and so, but it's so, so, and uh, so that 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 entails the whole Old Testament. But that, but when Jesus said the word, when he said the phrase, "You search the scriptures," he's talking about the Old Testament because the new, when he said that phrase, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. The new, actually, the New Testament hadn't even started because the New Testament didn't start in Matthew one one. The New Testament started at the cross. That's what that's that issued in and Paul <coughs> that issued in the new covenant and Paul talks about that and he oh well the writer of Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews chapter eight uh, and, and Paul talks about it too but um, anyway so we're talking about the grace in the Old Testament and, and the first little section that Sherry read and and it continued the the, the the thought continued on was that we got to remember there's kind of almost three periods of time. There's life between Adam and the law, and then there's the, law, the, the life between the law and Christ, and then there's between Christ and now. Okay? The law changed some things, but the, the, the cross changed everything. Before the law came, between Adam and, and the law, which is through Moses, um, there was no law. And Paul made, and Andrew quotes a statement here in, in chapter 2. On page uh, 15, if you're reading. But it says, and he quotes from uh, Romans 5.13, says, For until the law was in the world, I'm sorry, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now that word impute, let me just describe that word for a moment. You know, uh, some of you might have bank statements or credit card statements. <clears throat> if you're in a different country, yeah, I don't know how you do it. I, I was once preaching in Tijuana, Mexico, and uh, uh, I tried to use an illustration about bank statements, and my friend pulled me aside and said, but Dave, they don't have bank statements here. Now, I, I, I suppose that's true. I trusted my friend. And so, uh, so my analogy of using a bank statement didn't really sit well with them because uh, they didn't understand the analogy because they didn't have bank statements. But anyway, without a bank statement, I can, I can still describe this. If you had a credit card, hopefully we all know what a credit card is. 
But if I had a credit card and every, um, I don't know, we need to do something here. Um, if, if I had a credit card, every time I charge something to that credit card, that charge is imputed to that account. It's charged to the account. And then uh, monthly when we pay our credit cards off, or we do, um, we don't we don't pay interest, so we pay it off. Um, we use our credit cards to get credit. We don't use our credit cards to make debt. But that's just us. Uh, that's a freebie. But every time we make a payment on our credit card, that payment is imputed to our account. That's how the I'm trying to describe the word impute. So before the law, before the law came, and the law didn't come, when Abraham lived, there was no law yet. But because he said, "Where there's no law, there can be without any law, there can't be any transgression of sin." There's another scripture that says that. You know, you can't be charged for something. Just take this in a civil way. I can't be charged for something if there's no law. It's not illegal if there's no law. Does that make sense? Sin can't be charged to account when there's no law. Now that doesn't apply to us, but be, but be, and, and in this regard, but between until the law came to Moses, and that was over 400 years after Abraham, there was no law. And, and Paul saying, where there was no law, sin was not imputed to them. Uh, and Paul talks about this in other, other areas too. That doesn't so much relate to us, but what I see there is grace. Until the law came, there was grace. Okay? Um, now that might still boggle our minds, and we can't, we can't fathom that, because we have never lived before the law. And, and, and we're living after the law. And we're living after Christ has fulfilled the law. But then the law did come. And we're going to get into the next chapter. We're going to get into later on the God's purpose of the law. We're not going to so much unravel all that right now. But but one thing that Andrew's trying to bring out, there was grace. And then and then uh, what I really want to get to is, excuse me, I lost my place. And on the two pages later, uh, page the top of page 17, I'm not going to read it all, but there's this concept of, uh, most of you know the story, when Adam and Eve fell, after after God had some discussions with them, he gave <coughs> the serpent some consequences. He gave the, the woman some consequences with ch- in childbearing. And then he gave mankind some consequences. And part of those consequences of sin, besides death, was that they were ousted from the garden. Remember that? After they sinned, God expelled them from the garden. And there was a, a flaming sword and, and, and a cherubim and a flaming sword. And a lot of people think that God ousted them from the garden because now they were unholy because of sin. And Andrew is actually uh, uh, challenging that because it was actually God's mercy to expel them from the garden. Why, why is that? Because once man partook of the tree of knowledge and good and evil... And if they would, would they, they sinned, they, they died, spiritually speaking. But if man were to partake from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and die, and then begin, then take from the tree of life, man would have lived, lived in a fallen state forever. If man, if Adam and Eve partook from the tree of life, while after taking from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there, Jesus could never have come and saved us. It was God's mercy. God ousted man from the garden until Jesus came. And remember that cherubim, and you can see this, I think, in Genesis 3, 24. 
But in Genesis 3.24, it talks about the, 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 the cherubim and the flaming sword that kept man from the tree of life. Well, when God had Moses build the tabernacle, and there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place, God had them embroidered cherubim on that veil. And it says in Matthew, and I think it, Luke also talks about this as well, but in Matthew, when Jesus died at the cross, at the moment he died, God, not man, because this, this veil was too big. It was too thick, and it was too, <coughs> too tall, too big for man to just easily rent this. God, when Jesus fell, God rent that veil that had this embroidered cherubim on it, and, uh, and he, separated, he removed that cherubim. He removed it. You know, the Holy of Holies... It represents God, and the holy place represents man. And God opened, <coughs> he illustrated it with a tent, and he illustrated it with a tabernacle. And I'm not, I don't have time to teach all this right now. But God, when God did this, he separated the two. He, he, when, he read the t when he read the tent, he was basically saying, and he was basically expressing through this tabernacle, that God made us in right relationship back with him again. Man had full access again to the tree of life because man, if they receive Jesus, is not in the fallen state. Man is born again. And man is born again, not a corruptible seed, but an incorruptible seed by the word of God. So what does this have to do with our, our lesson? We're talking about grace in the Old Testament. And sometimes some of us in the Old Testament, all we see is the wrath of God. We see that once Adam fell... Man, God was mad at man. Now, God was angry at sin. God was so angry at sin that he crucified his own son for us. Do you know that when Jesus died at the cross, it was brutal? When he died, he got whipped. And he, you know, a lot of people think he got whipped for 40 lashes. That, because the law said uh, he can only be whipped 40 times. That was Jewish law. But... Uh, Jesus was whipped by the Romans, and there was no Roman law <laughs> about how long he could be whipped. You know, and so, uh, anyway, that, that can be another discussion another time. But at the same point in time, he, he was, he, uh, the, the scripture says that he was unrecognizable. He was so marred by the cross and all of the things that led up to the cross. It was so brutal. God wasn't soft on sin. The full judgment, the full wrath of God came on Jesus, so his wrath can't come, doesn't have to come on you. We also learned some things that Andrew was talking about, you know, sacrifices. <clears throat> Adam and Eve didn't have sacrifices before the fall, because there was no sin to atone for. There was no sin. And so, and he, he's painting the picture here. I'm just trying to paraphrase some things for, for sake of time and, and whatnot. But somewhere... When, we, when Cain and Abel come on the scene, the, the, their first children, there was a sacrifice. Cain, uh, Cain brought the fruit. Cain was a, a gardener. He was a, a hands man in that way. Uh, but uh, Abel was a, a farmer. And so he had sheep. He had a livestock. Whereas uh, Cain had ve uh, vegetables and whatnot. He had his, the fruit of his labors. When they, when they brought a sacrifice, and who told them to bring a sacrifice? Where did that come from? 
We don't have necessarily a scripture that says that how God taught them, but, but God had a relationship with them. And we see after the fall that God still talked with Cain. God still talked with Adam. God still talked with man, <coughs> mankind. Man did, God didn't stop talking to man because he was now sinful. Um, man could not partake from the tree of life, and that was for a reason. God still had a relationship with man. That's grace. And, 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 and so, and God taught them sacrifices. God taught them uh, what he expected and required. Now, there wasn't any law yet. There wasn't any law about sacrifices, but they still learned that. Remember when, when they sinned and they, <coughs> excuse me, they, they had fig leaves to cover their nakedness. But then after, after uh, they had a discussion with God, God uh, put uh, animal skins on them. Well, where did the animals come from? God made the first sacrifice of animal skins to, so that he could clothe them. And I believe in, in that whole process, this is a whole teaching, but, but um, God began to illustrate, even with those animal skins, how it points to Christ, what Christ is going to do for us, that his, his sacrifice is going to atone. The word atone, one of the definitions for atoning means it's a covering. God's going to cover our sins with the blood of someone else, a blood of a substitute. An animal had to die so they could have animal skins. Christ had to die so our sins <coughs> could be atoned for. The gospel is preached in that, in that manner. You have something to share? Nothing? Yep. And so, there's more I can bring out and piggyback on. But, one, a few things I've just seen out the back. God still has a relationship with mankind. God talks to man, man talks to God. God didn't just, is not just sitting on the throne up there until Jesus comes. God still has interaction. Now, we're not, man, Adam, Eve, uh, Cain, Abel, uh, Abraham, we're not filled with the Spirit of God uh, uh, like we are. Now, some people between Adam and, 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 uh, and Christ did have the Spirit of God come upon them. They're prophets and different people, but it came on them from time to time, or it came on select people. It didn't come on all, all flesh. Joel prophesied that the Spirit of God would come on all flesh in the last days. And since Pentecost, the Spirit of God has come on all flesh. Uh, and, and he, why, you know, one of the reasons for that is God couldn't come in, into all flesh because of Christ. Christ hadn't come yet. God couldn't dwell in an unholy vessel. It took the blood of Jesus to make us holy. But the Spirit of God did come on people in the Old Testament. And, and so, and mainly, and there's so many different, there's a lot of different reasons for that, but one of them is they need to prophesy Christ. Christ couldn't come if they, he wasn't prophesied into being. Why is that true? So, this is a whole other teaching, and I don't want to get too off track on this, but God gave authority to mankind. So, um, and, and he gave his authority to man. Man had, God was, was going to keep his word. And so, God gave the authority to rule the earth to man to do. God, and I, you know, he gave that authority. And so until man had to prophesy it into being. And we have so many messianic prophecies about Jesus coming. It's awesome. And, and, uh, and so he used people like Isaiah. He used people like Jeremiah. He used people like David. He used even the law and different things to, to prophesy our Messiah that came. And so God used mankind, prophets through the years, to prophesy that this, my, my, that this Messiah would come. And then Jesus came in fulfillment of that. 
and 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 at the point of time, Mary was conceived, and and we had the Christmas story, which we'll be celebrating pretty soon here, as we're nearing the end of October. Anyway, I'm saying a lot of different things, but when you see God's grace in the New Testament and you understand grace, you can go back and read it in the Old Testament, and you can see it all the way back into the Garden. You can see it all the way even in the fall. You can see God's grace. You can see God's grace and how, you know, he, Andrew talked about how he dealt with Cain after he had murdered his brother. God showed Cain, Cain mercy. He showed him mercy. Cain could have just become goo. He just could, could have, God could have just slaughtered him. But he showed him mercy. He showed him grace. And there were some consequences. The Bible says even in the New Testament there's consequences. Paul says it this way, if you have the, if you, if you, uh, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you'll reap corruption. We're under grace in the New Testament, but if you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. If you if you murder, you're going to reap corruption. If you steal, you're going to reap corruption. If you uh, lie, cheat, have an affair, or adultery, you're going to reap corruption. <coughs> you know, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh, not of God, but of the flesh, you will reap corruption. God doesn't have to judge America, but the marriage doesn't repent. America will destroy itself. And we're already seeing that to some level. Uh, because sin is still deadly. Christ died for our sins, but we still live in a fallen world. And so, um, not everyone's saved. And so, um, <coughs> and a lot of people say, well, if God doesn't judge America, he has to apologize, apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. I disagree with that. If I believe if God judges America, he will have to apologize, apologize to Jesus. Because Jesus died for the world. At the same point in time, sin is deadly. And we, if a nation, a people, a family, anyone who separates from God is, is, is living in dangerous territory. And sin will destroy you. If you start living loosely <coughs> and living a life of sin, sin will kill you. It will, you know... If you live sin, it will destroy your relationships. It will cost you more. You other flesh will recrush you. But it also says in Galatians that if you sow to the Spirit of the Spirit, you will reap everlasting life. Uh, and so, um, anyway, we want to sow to the Spirit. Uh, anything you got on this so far? No. Um, hopefully I'm making sense. But we're just barely getting into chapter 2 here. Uh, but but the, the grace of God is being shown. Uh, I mean, there's so much more I could elaborate on. I just don't, not all of it's coming to mind right now, but I'm just trying to hit some highlights. My favorite part is just uh, um, the God's mercy by ousting from the garden. And, you know, that's so awesome if you can, if you can get that revelation that God, uh, you know, and now that we have Christ, if we understood that, if we understand Christ, if we understand this, we have free access now to the tree of life, which is Jesus. And we have free access. You know, um, uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there just for now. Um, if you don't have anything else, I guess we'll read some more. In Genesis 3, we read about sin entering the world. Of course, you know the story. God created Adam and Eve. He was fellowshipping with them and walking with them in the cool of the evening. Satan beguiled Eve into sinning, and Adam knowingly sinned against God. When they saw that they were naked, they hid themselves from God. 
And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Genesis 3, 7, and 8. Why do you think they hid themselves? Why would you have hidden yourself? I'm sure a lot of explanations could be given, but ultimately it was their fear of some retaliation from God. They were ashamed of what they had done, so they hid themselves. Notice the scripture doesn't say that when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they received total revelation of all of the depths of sin. My personal belief is that it took mankind thousands of years to explore and discover the depths of sin. They didn't just instantly come into the full knowledge of all kinds of sin. I believe Adam and Eve, by our standards, even after they sinned, were still so pure that it would have blown most of us away. It doesn't say they understood anything about perversion. I don't believe Adam and Eve knew there was such a thing as divorce. If anybody ever had a justification for divorce, it was Adam, but he lived with Eve for 930 years after the fall. I believe one of the reasons for this is that Adam didn't know there was any other option. He didn't know there was divorce. Nevertheless, even though God was not imputing sin to mankind, and it took a while for people to figure it out, sin had devastating effects on mankind from the very beginning. Sin was not only a transgression against God, but it created an open door for Satan to come into people's lives. Sin has both vertical and horizontal consequences. Sin's vertical effect is a transgression against God. Until the law came, however, God was not imputing man's sin to him, and sin did not have an effect on man's fellowship with God. Sin's horizontal effect is that it allows Satan access to our lives in some form. Even though God wasn't bringing judgment fully upon sin before the law, sin was still destroying the human race. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Romans 6.16 the Word of God shows us that every time people commit sin, they give Satan direct inroads into their lives. Even though God wasn't bringing full judgment upon sin, sin allowed Satan to come in and destroy the human race, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Number one, div diminished lifespan. In the days of Adam, people lived to be up to 969 years old. 2,000 years later, in the days of Noah, God said in Genesis 6-3, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. God was not setting a maximum lifespan on people, because Noah himself lived to be over 600 years old. Abraham, who was born after that time, lived to be 175. Moses lived to be 120. Under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Moses is the one who wrote in Psalm 90, verse 10, which says that a man's life shall be 70 or 80 years. Obviously, sin was diminishing people's lifespans. 
Why did people in the beginning live to be up to 969 years old? I believe it took a while for Satan to get them convinced that they were supposed to die. They didn't know how to die. They had never seen anybody do it before. They didn't know people are over the hill at 30 or 40. They didn't know that at 65 people are supposed to retire. They didn't know that a flu season came around every year. They didn't know about the swine flu, the Hong Kong flu, cancer, and heart attacks. If they had a pain, I'm sure they didn't even know what it was. They just kept right on going. They didn't know how to submit to sickness and disease. It took a long time for Satan to get all of this knowledge across to them. The only thing that the Bible says they knew when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that they were naked. Number two, nakedness. Did Adam and Eve lose their clothes when they ate of the tree? Of course not. Adam and Eve were one bit more naked after they ate of the tree than they were before they ate of it. Some people would say, wait a minute, they were clothed in robes of righteousness. Well, I don't think that's a good comparison because literally speaking, they weren't wearing robes of righteousness or anything else. It says in Genesis 2, 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. They didn't have a stitch of clothes on before they sinned or after they sinned. They weren't any more naked after they sinned than they were before they sinned. What changed was their perception of it. All of a sudden, they knew they were naked. They'd never thought about it before. They were never conscious of their nakedness before. Man was created to be so God-conscious that he honestly didn't even notice himself. There was no self-consciousness. Man was totally God-conscious, not self-conscious. That's the way God created us to be, to be so conscious of him that we didn't even know if we were clothed or not. None of us have ever become that God-conscious, have we? But that's the way God created Adam and Eve. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Genesis 3, 9 and through 11. Do you think when Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked, God replied, Are you really naked? You're kidding. Do you think that's the first time God noticed that they were naked? Of course not. God knew they were naked. God created them naked. But he knew they didn't realize they were naked before they sinned. Now you may be wondering what being naked has to do with anything. To us, that may not look like a really good reason for Adam and Eve to hide themselves. But according to the scripture, that's the only thing they recognized that made them run and hide from God. What was the big deal? I think the reason this is so important is because God wasn't naked. God was clothed. Do you know that in the word of God, there's no reference to God or an angelic being ever being naked? They're always clothed. God wears garments. Did you know we're going to wear clothes throughout all eternity? Revelation 19.8. We're going to have actual robes of righteousness made of something like white linen that will shine. No one in heaven goes around naked. Number three, fear of rejection. Adam and Eve were now fully self-conscious, which made them fully vulnerable to evil. And I believe the most immediate result was a fear of rejection. They were accustomed to seeing God and angelic beings clothed. Then suddenly, 
When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they recognized they were not clothed. When someone recognizes he or she is different from other people, a carnal, natural reaction is always fear. Fear of rejection. Rejection for being different is the root of all racial prejudice. In my opinion, it is really an ignorant thing for a believer to have racial prejudice. If Christians would just use their heads, they would realize that in heaven, they are going to be with everybody. I think it's stupid to think that people are substandard because of the color of their skin. Nevertheless, at times, all of us can feel that fear of being different. I've been invited to speak in churches with all black people. I was the only white person there. Even though I knew they loved me, I just couldn't help but think they might treat me a little bit differently. People are usually just a little bit hesitant when they are aware they are different from everyone else. That's the reason there is so much peer pressure in society. Why does everybody want to be like everybody else? They want to be accepted. God create, created us for acceptance to be loved just as we are. He didn't make us for rejection. Nobody likes rejection. People hate being rejected because it hurts. God didn't design us with the emotional capacity for a rejection. We aren't supposed to get to where we just live with it. We can and should get to the place where rejection won't overcome us because we learn how to, to give it over to God. But people have joined gangs, committed murder, and done every kind of terrible thing simply to be accepted. When we recognize we're different, there's fear that if we're not like everybody else, they may not accept us. So we all tend to gravitate toward what's considered average or normal to please people around us. The moment Adam and Eve sinned, they recognized they weren't like God anymore and they feared rejection. They feared wrath and retaliation coming upon them. It's my own personal opinion that it broke God's heart to think that the creation he made would be so fearful of him that they wanted to run and hide from him. But that's what a knowledge of sin does. Number four, forever in debt. Knowledge of sin will make people feel guilty when people feel guilty, they avoid the one to whom they are indebted through their sin. To illustrate this, let me share of an example of a time when I owed a woman some money. She was my landlady, the vice president of a bank, and I owed her a month's rent. I had told this woman that I knew I owed her the money. I said, I'm sorry, I promise you I'll make it good even if I have to sell my wife's blood. My wife's blood was worth $125 a pint. I had promised her I would make it good. This lady was really nice to me and she said, don't worry about it, I trust you, I know you'll make it good. She was as nice as she could be, but I knew I had defaulted on what I owed her and I felt bad about it. One day I was walking down the street and I saw her coming. When I saw her, I ducked into a store even though I didn't have a dime in my pocket. I couldn't even have used the payphone there, but I went in and started looking like I was going to buy something so I could avoid meeting this woman on the street. Now, she would have extended nothing but love, mercy, and forgiveness to me, but because I knew I was in debt to her, I didn't want to talk to her. That was a negative situation to me, and I didn't want to face it. If we were honest, we would agree it is the same with all of us, we don't like to be around people who are constant, who constantly remind us of negative things in our lives. And the mere mention of God 
the, the one to whom we owe everything will have us running for the hills if we have sinned. Knowledge of sin, the knowledge of good and evil, will make us want to run from God instead of to him. Adam and Eve should have run to God when they sinned instead of running from him. But that's the same thing we all tend to do. We run from God and try to get away from him when we sin or feel unworthy. Number five, deception. Another important effect of sin is that it also blinds or deceives people. The Bible says that our hearts become hardened through the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13. In the Old Testament, people's hearts were, being, hearts were being hardened to the things of God. They were getting so far away from God that they were justifying all kinds of sinful actions. In 2 Corinthians 10.12, the Bible says it is not wise for people to compare themselves to other people. That scripture instructs us that it is not smart to measure ourselves against those around us. Perhaps you have heard people say, well, if those old hypocrites down that church make it to heaven, I'll make it. Well, this scripture says that it's not a very good measuring stick. What if the hypocrites down there at church didn't make it to heaven? Throughout history, people have attempted to justify their sin by finding someone who is worse than they are to compare themselves with. People will look at the sorriest example in the whole church and say, if they go to church and are making it to heaven, I'll make it. That's a terrible standard of comparison. People aren't going to be measured by the hypocrites at church. People are going to be compared to Jesus, Romans 3.23. Unless they measure up, they need a savior. But it is human nature for people to compare themselves to others to excuse their sin. Homosexuality used to be totally unacceptable by anybody's standard, even in the world. But now even some politicians, people in public positions who are supposed to be respected, openly advocate that lifestyle. This recent phenomenon has changed a lot of people's opinions toward it because they compare themselves to others saying, well, if so-and-so is doing it or if so-and-so doesn't have a problem with it, it must not be so bad. The only problem is that politician never was the standard of comparison. It's a grave mistake to openly advocate something God condemns just because someone else advocates it, no matter how rich and powerful they are or what position they hold. Why do we deceive ourselves into thinking it doesn't matter whether or not we sin? Let's look again at Cain. When Cain killed a man, God protected him instead of bringing wrath upon him. This was not because God approved of what Cain had done, but because of his goodness. Romans 2.4 says the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. God wanted to show his love and mercy to the human race, even though man deserved judgment. He wanted to show love and mercy in order to draw mankind back to himself. But man began to misinterpret what God was doing when he protected Cain instead of bringing judgment upon him. The second murderer mentioned in the Bible is Lamech, Cain's great-great-great-grandson. When Lamech killed a man, he appealed to God and said, If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold, Genesis 4.24. In other words, if God protected Cain like he did, certainly God is going to protect me even more. God didn't say that. Lamech said that. Do you see what was happening? Lamech was saying, if God... if 
Excuse me. Lamech was saying, if Cain got by with murder, then I'm going to get by with murder. I'm more justified than Cain was. People started interpreting God's patience and goodness as though he condoned and excused sin. People began to say, well, sin must not be so bad. This was never the message God intended to convey. But when sin deceives people, they will think and do incredibly stupid things. All right, thank you, Terry. That was even a longer section. So we have some big, long sections here tonight. And uh, and so I apologize for that some, to some degree. So let's just cut, uh, go over a little bit of this a little bit. Again, we're going through the, uh, the true nature of God. The title of this chapter is seen grace in the Old Testament. And we need to see the grace in the New Testament, I believe, before we see the grace in the Old Testament. The title of this section, though, is called The Effects of Sin. And Andrew lists five effects that sin have. Uh, real quickly, the first one is the, the, the diminished lifespan. The second one, nakedness. Third one, the fear of rejection. Number four was the forever in debt. And number five was deception. And uh, so those are the five uh, effects that sin has on us, uh, has on mankind if we sin. Uh, let's deal with the first one first, you know, diminished lifespan. I mean, that's almost self-explanatory. I mean, it, I think it's remarkable, first of all, that Adam lived 933-something years after the, even the fall. That's almost a millennium, uh, you know, and so... Uh, can you imagine? I mean, no one, uh, no one in our day can imagine even living more than uh, over one century, uh, uh, if, if, if that. And so that's a pretty, pretty uh, long life. And uh, you know, we're 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 lucky enough. Well, since was a sense Noah that man should not live more than 120 years, and yet it's not been to the T because some people have lived beyond 120. But uh, Man's life span has definitely been reduced since the fall. And the effects of sin, the effects of sin in our world, bacteria. I mean, we're seeing that with COVID and different things. Of course, some of that was, I believe, man-manufactured. But at the same point in time, uh, you know, uh, man doesn't live as long. Uh, and not just because of sin and, and different things, but also, I mean, the choices people make, the lifestyles people live. Uh, um, you know, the the worry and the stress people endure is, is diminishing our lifestyles. I mean, doctors have been amazed through the years why the body doesn't just heal itself, why people don't just live forever. God, God, I, in that points of picture, you know, and Andrew brings it down, and I don't want to make this a big discussion, but it just, uh, uh, man was living a long time <laughs> after the fall for a while. I mean, and I, I like how he brings it out. Man didn't even, Adam and Eve didn't even, were so innocent in so ways. They didn't know what divorce was. They didn't know what certain things were. It just wasn't wasn't there. Uh, you know, um, Andrew Womack, the, the author of the book, uh, he talks about, and I might drop the story so I can't share too much, but uh, he was ministering one time in New York, and I think a, a hooker came up to him, and he didn't even know what a hooker was. <laughs> He was so innocent, he didn't even know what a hooker was, what they did and whatnot. And uh, him and the, I think the pimp, uh, I mean, they just thought Andrew was crazy. Uh, he thought they were crazy. Uh, but uh, 
Uh, you know, he 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 could the 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 hooker couldn't seduce him because he he was just clueless. He was just so innocent that he was not tempted. I just know me. You can't tempt me with alcohol. I mean, I don't even like soda. <laughs> I, I don't even like soda. I don't even. I don't. I just drink water, juice, and milk for the most part. Uh, you know, you can't tempt me with drugs. I mean, it's it's not a temptation. There's some things you can't tempt me, but there are some things you can't tempt me with because it's. I know about it. But if you don't even know about it, uh, you know, if that's the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of tree and good and evil. The knowledge of sin, um, uh, you know, takes away that innocence, which to me would be a six area. Uh, but just, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, sometimes I come across people that think, I don't have any testimony. I've never lived in sin and drugs and did this. I go, that's a, one of the best testimonies of all, that you've been preserved from all of that. That you didn't have to experience that. You don't need to uh, experience sin to know what life is like. You know, when we were youth pastors in Wisconsin for uh, a year, uh, back in the year 2000, some of the parents were mad at us because we didn't watch TV so we could see what the youth were watching. We didn't want, we didn't have a TV. Uh, so it's kind of hard to watch TV when you don't even have the device. Uh, but second of all, uh, we're like, that's not how we're going to teach the youth. We're not going to teach the youth by watching TV so we can know the message. We're going to teach, we're going to spend time with the Word of God and the Spirit of God so we can teach the youth. If you, the pastor you want is one that's going to be like the world to teach and get my to get its information from the world to teach people, then you don't want me because I, I I want I want to hear from the Word of God. I want to hear from the Spirit of God to teach people. You know, I don't need to know what the world is dabbling in, into so I can teach people. That That's just backwards. That's that's that's, that's uh, insane. And so, anyway, uh, the second thing, uh, feel free to interject, Sherry, if you have anything. Um, I, I know Dave was commenting on uh, Andrew's five things of the effects of, of sin. Um, and I know we, we're getting down on time. But I think the biggest thing that caught me through Andrew's uh, explanation is the vertical and horizontal effects. You know, the vertical he was talking about, it, it does, sin does affect our relationship with God. God's not moving. He's not stopping showing us his goodness and, and, and mercy because we're the ones, like Adam and Eve, when we sin, we turn away from God. We either hide from Him or we think uh, because of whatever thought Satan put in our heads because of, of sin, because of our, our own guilt, you know, we hold ourselves back from, from God. Um, and, and also on the horizontal, horizontal level, you know, I'll just use me. If I sin, if I lied to Dave or stole from him or whatever, that would affect our relationship. Uh, he wouldn't be happy with me for one thing, but he would stop trusting me for another thing. And so um, our relationship wouldn't be very good. But because Dave and I don't sin against each other, you know, I, I tell him everything. I was just having a conversation with my mom. She was teasing me um, on, about something and... and um, uh, I responded back, well, I'm not going to keep that from Dave. I tell him everything. I, I'm, I've never lied to him. I'm not going to start lying to him. 
And I kind of walked away huffy even though my mom was, was teasing because I just was like, that's one thing I'm never going to do. Um, but, you know, sin just, it, it destroys our reputation with people. Um, it just, it, it causes wedges. Um, it causes things like d divorce and, um, and strife and all kinds of things. And, and yet, God, before the law, he was trying to show grace and mercy. You know, you know, even today, people would be like, oh my gosh, you murdered someone? You know, you need to be in jail or have the death penalty or whatever. But God was like, no, Cain, I, I'm going to protect you. Because that was Cain's first response to God was, well, now people are going to come after me. He... he I mean, he didn't seem, I mean, I know it, it doesn't explain everything that, that Cain did or felt uh, after he killed his brother. It doesn't show that he showed remorse, but it showed that he was scared that people would do that to him, what he did to his brother. And yet God in his mercy and grace said, you know what, I'll protect you. You know, you do have consequences from sin, um, but I am going to protect you and put a mark on you so that, that people cannot... Uh, do what you did to your brother and you know all my life I've just been almost shocked by God's response to Cain but you know knowing God's true nature knowing what Jesus did at the cross knowing about why and when uh, the law came about you know that that's really helped me understand and um understand that the consequences and, and graveness of sin yet the mercy and love of God to bring us back to him I mean just that that verse that that Andrew uh, quoted about it's the 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 love of God that that brings us to re repentance wherever it was he he talked about it uh, oh excuse me Romans 2 4 the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance you know we know several testimonies of people who have sinned in some sort of way or, or the other and it has destroyed their relationship with God and with those in their lives because of, of the guilt and, and everything that they've held back. You know, when, when you sin, you can feel guilty, you can feel like everyone's judging you or condemning you. But, but God, in all these testimonies I've heard, God extends His love and mercy to them and shows them Hey, I already dealt with sin on the cross. I've already taken your sin and put it as far as the east is from the west. I've already crucified it with my son. I, I want you to, to come to me. He graciously woos us with us back. And it, it's his goodness and gentleness and, and love that has brought all these people back. And, you know, where is it in the gospel where it says uh, this woman is forgiven? This person is forgiven much because they've... Am I quoting it right? Um, I, I can't remember exactly how it goes. But you see, when people see the goodness of God, you know, they're the most gracious people around because they understand the love and forgiveness that God's extended to them. And, and yet, you know, I know... Andrew's, you know, explaining the different things that, that sin does to people. And I know he hasn't, at least in my thinking, he hasn't come across harsh on sin. He's just explaining about um, sin. 
I forget where I was going with this. You know, oh, here, God is not soft on sin. He is not condoning sin. I know Andrew talked about this. He's not saying, oh, it's okay. Go ahead and sin. I love you anyways. He's not saying that. He's saying that sin is destructive in your life. Sin keeps you away from me. But good news, I have taken all of your sin, all of everyone's sin, and crucified it on my own son because I love you so much. You know, in this chap in this book we're talking about the nature of God. In this chapter we're talking about God's grace in the Old Testament. In this section that this long section that Sherry just read, we're talking about the effects of sin. But eight, and, and, and Andrew lists five effects of sin. I know there's more, but at least five effects of sin. But even in these effects of sin, we see God's grace. You know, we see God's grace with the, with the, the sin of long life and, 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 and whatnot. And as a, the second one, I love this part about the nakedness. Uh, but I love this part where Andrew says, he says, Mankind was created to be God-conscious, that they honestly didn't even notice themselves. There was no self-consciousness. They were totally God-conscious and not self-conscious. They were so conscious of God, they didn't even know they were naked. And then it goes on and, and brings out, and I, I, you know, I never really realized this in the scripture, but God was always clothed, and, and the angels were always clothed. God's, you know, and we see this clothing, and we're going to be clothed in, in, in heaven. So don't get the wrong impression. Uh, but God's... God, you know, even while they were naked, God was gracious by killing an animal so they could have animal skins. God was gracious to them. God was gracious that they, um, uh, God was gracious with the first, what was the first one again? Uh, the, the, the lifespan was diminishing. God was gracious, but God was gracious, you know, uh, in, 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 in so many ways with that. I forget what I was going to say about that. Um. You know, well, he was gracious. He went in one sense. He was gracious to to, to and uh, and and uh, just making sure that they ha had a, a quality of life through Jesus Christ. He's been he's showing us grace. I, I, there was something, something I was gonna say. I just totally lost him. That's why I'm kind of stumbling. But you know, the, the third effect was a, the, the fear of rejection. You know, no one likes to be rejected. It's not normal to be rejected. Um, God didn't design us with the emotional capacity for rejection. We aren't supposed to get get to where we just live with it. We can we can and should get to the place where, where rejection won't overcome us because we we learn how to give into over to God. But people have joint and people have joined gangs and committed murder and and and, and done every kind of terrible thing just to be accepted. You know, God. You know, Cain did a horrible thing. I mean, murdering someone, but yet alone his brother. And yet God showed him grace. There was consequences. There was natural consequences. Uh, but, uh, you know, he showed him grace. Uh, I, I love this part. It's kind of echoed twice here. But uh, uh, Andrew says, It broke God's heart to think that his, the creation he made would be so fearful of him that they wanted to run and hide from him. But that's what... That's what the knowledge of sin does. He goes on to say, knowledge of sin, the knowledge of good and evil, will make us want to run from God instead of to Him. So some people have always asked, what's so wrong about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? 
because it gives you the knowledge of sin. We don't want the knowledge of sin. We want the knowledge of Christ. We want the knowledge of God. Peter says, and I quote this so many times, but he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness and the knowledge of him. Sin, the knowledge of sin will cause you to run from God. The knowledge of God and his grace will cause you to run to him. God wanted people to run to him, not away from him. Adam and Eve ran from God. You know, that God used to walk with them in the cool day of day. But because of sin, God didn't end that relationship. Man did. And so uh, man has fought with that. Um, but, you know, and why so? Because man saw himself as shameful, sin. You know, <clears throat> there's been so many times I, as a pastor, as a Christian, you know, I... I, I run into people and they're so shameful of their sins. One particular time I went on a cruise and I was sitting in the spa and Sherry couldn't go on this particular cruise and I was sitting in the spa in the back of the boat watching the, the boat, uh, you know, sail and and at one particular time a group of just young, some young uh, college kids came in and uh, boys and girls and uh, they were just cussing and this and that and they had their alcohol and different things, and they were just having a good time. They weren't being violent. They were they weren't being uh, necessarily well uh, outside some of their language uh, rude. Uh, they were just having fun. They're on vacation, uh, not the kind of fun I would want, but uh, they they were having fun nonetheless in their way. And then you know, most of the times when I had random people on the cruise, uh, two two questions always came up when you start a conversation with someone: Where are you from? Because there are people on a cruise, they could be anywhere uh, from, the, uh, from anywhere in the world. And then two, what do you do? <laughs> What's your occupation? Those are two questions that came up every time. Where are you from and what do you do? Well, I'm from California and I'm a pastor. <laughs> you know? And I, I don't necessarily advertise it all the time because I don't want people to necessarily react about me differently. I'm not ashamed of being a pastor. I'm, 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 I, I take my calling and my, 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 my assignment very seriously. But at the same point in time... I just don't, I don't necessarily advertise that all the time and because and, and, and I, I, don't, I, I don't want people to treat me different in a certain regard. I want people to respect me, but I want people to respect me whether I was a pastor or not. And so uh, that had nothing to do with it. But once I say pastor, after they've been spending a few moments cussing and doing this and that, their demeanor changed. <laughs> you know, they were apologizing this and that. You know, they should have never been cussing in the first place because I was a pastor, you know. But, you know, why did they do that? Because all of a sudden, in their eyes, I represented God to them or a man of God to them. And now they felt shameful or not. And, you know, they, 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 they just wanted to hide under the water and leave, you know. And I, want, I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable in that way. I didn't necessarily want to hear the, the language and whatnot. But I didn't want people to run away. That's what they wanted to do once they found out as a pastor. Not because of anything I did, but because of what they were doing. <laughs> that, that's what sin will do. It will cause you to hide from God, run away from God. You know, I, I don't like sin. I don't like it when people go through problems or make bad decisions. But I want people to come get help. <laughs> I want people to get... I can't help them if they're running away. I can't help them if they won't, won't, won't talk to me, won't, 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 won't do anything. But, you know... And I'm just a human, let alone God wants to help them. You know, I don't like certain lifestyles. I don't like certain things. But I love the pe- I want to love the people. And to a certain degree, I'll tolerate it so I can reach the person. You're not going to change the behavior until you change the heart. 
There's just no way. It doesn't work. And even if you did change the behavior without changing the heart, what did you gain? Just because we're not sinning, we're living godly, but we don't have Jesus, we're still going to hell. <laughs> we need Jesus. We need to change the heart. That it's that's more important to me than the behavior. Now I'm not gonna, you know, even our church and different things. I'm not gonna allow people to be hostile and 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 and, and whatnot. Uh, and that, that 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 we we pre, we pretty much are pretty open. <coughs> who comes in our home and different things. But once you're hostile, you know, I won't put up with that. I won't put up with someone feeling uncomfortable, feeling violated or, or, or afraid in that regard, uh, or disrespected. Uh, you know, we had uh, one one Bible study. This was back in Ontario, but uh, uh, we we had a pretty much a full house for the Bible study. And one gal came that night, and she just was. I, she was just disrespectful. She was defiant. She didn't uh, uh, respect authority. We never really had a lot of problems. Most of our people, Bible says everyone got along. But this one, she just was interruptive. She was, uh, you know, sometimes I interrupt. I don't mean to, but because of my hearing, I don't always hear when people are talking. And so, uh, but anyway, uh, she just was, she was just a problem. And you could tell people were getting a little agitated after uh, a while. And at one point, she actually got up and was about ready to walk out the door, which in some ways, like, good thing. <laughs> But I just felt led to, to, you know what, pray. Let's pray. And I, I just began to pray. I didn't pray attack prayer. Some people pray attack prayers. Lord, I pray that you just show her. No, I just began to pray for peace and God's peace to come in that room and whatnot. You know, she stopped in her tracks on the way to the door. She came back and sat down and behaved. I didn't even have to address it. She sat down and behaved, and she actually got ministered to that night. We had someone get filled with the Holy Spirit that night. We actually had a pretty good, uh, uh, I guess, afterglow, afterglow of, 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 the, of the Bible study that night. But, you know, she eventually got, got ministered to that night, you know. And I forget why I was sharing that story. But, you know, sin will have effects. It will change. It will, you'll, you'll become inward focused. You'll, you'll, uh, you know, there was rejection. It, you know, sin will cause you to feel, feel rejected by God. Uh, and, and, and sin is wrong, but uh, uh, God, God wants to accept you, not your sin. <coughs> you know, Jesus hung out with the publicans and sinners. That, that speaks volumes to me. The publicans and sinners loved hanging around Jesus. And I know Jesus didn't condone their behavior. I know Jesus didn't approve of their behavior, but he approved them as a person. And there was something about Jesus and his ministry that was like a magnet. The sinners wanted to come to him. And they didn't come to him and stay sinners. They came to him and got their lives changed. But there was something that attracted him. There's something about the church today, not all the church, but there's something about the church today driving people away. The, 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 the world in Jesus' day, they came to him. They flocked to him. And there's something, something wrong with that. Something backwards with that. And, I, and I, you know, the, the only people who didn't want to be with Jesus are the religious people. And Jesus didn't really want to do much with them either. Uh, you know, he, uh, religion, religion is, to me, is, 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 is worse sometimes than the, 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 sin, the sin stuff. But in order, in order to, get something, to change someone's heart, or get, change someone's life, you've got to change their heart. And uh, and so sin will have different effects on you. I don't know if I covered them all for a little choppy, but there's effects of sin. 
But even in the effects of sin, because sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. Sin will cause you to feel all these five things Andrew talks about and experience them. But God, even, even then, even in the Old Testament, Christ hadn't come yet. But God still showed his grace to Adam and Eve. He still showed his grace to Cain. He still showed his grace to mankind. The law, the law showed no mercy. That law came 400 years later. But the, there was grace. And we're going to see a little bit more. We're not done with this chapter. But I think we're almost out of time if we're not out of time. Um, so uh, kind of wrapping it up. I don't feel like we finished the chapter. I feel like we're kind of leaving it, uh, uh, hanging a little bit. But sin will cost you more. But we're in the New Testament. Christ has overcome sin. He's conquered sin. And we don't have to be a slave to sin. <coughs> we can be a, a bondservant to Christ. We can uh, be a bondservant willingly to Christ because we love. You know, back in the days of slavery, there was a lot of bad stuff going on, but there were some slaves because their masters did respect them, that they felt safer, they felt provided for by remaining slaves. There was something they could do even in the Old Testament days. They could actually, and I'm, I'm wrapping up with this, they could actually become a, a bond servant for life. And they usually would pierce a hole through the ear or, or something of that nature through the doorpost of, 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 the, of, 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 of the house. And they, they became, a, by choice, by their own accord, became a bond servant for life. Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, he's, he calls himself a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And we're serving Christ because we love him. We're serving Christ because he is, he's our God, he's our father, he's our daddy, he's our friend, he's our savior. But he's also our God. He's also our Lord. And we can choose to, to follow Christ. And, uh, and I choose to do that. Because I, I, want to, I want my life to be blessed. Even if God's forgiven me by his grace, there's consequences to sin. There's consequences to sin. There's effects of sin. Even in the New Testament. You know, if you murder someone, there's going to be consequences. You commit adultery, there's going to be consequences. Uh, you know, if I commit adultery, there's going to be consequences here. There's going to be consequences with other relationships. There's going to be consequences, and not so much in God towards me, but me towards God. I'm going to be so shameful. I'm going to, you know, if we still, if we do things, it's going <coughs> to, we can break relationships if we break trust. You know, there's things, uh, and, uh, there's so many avenues I can do, but God can bring healing. God can, can restore a lot of different things. I can't always say everyone else is always going to be so forgiving. But God is faithful to forgive. He will always forgive. He's already forgiven you before you even ask for it. You just got to receive the forgiveness. But other people, I can't promise they'll always be forgiving. I can't promise other people. I can't promise our society will always show grace and mercy. I can't promise that, but I can promise this, that God will be gracious to you. He will be merciful to you <coughs> because he's given you Jesus. Okay, there's so much more I could say. I just feel like I'm out of time. You want to have anything to share in closing? Uh, no, just to reiterate what Dave was saying, that God is merciful and gentle and has already forgiven you through Jesus. And... Um, Yes, he's not soft on sin, and he's not saying, oh, it's okay. What he is saying, I love you anyways. 
I'm not remembering your sin. I don't have it written down. I've, as far as the east is from the west, it's totally gone in my eyes. All I'm seeing is you and how much I love you. That's God's response. See, the gospel's not fair. If we if we got justice, we all deserve hell. Every single one of us. So the gospel is not based on justice in that regard. We all deserve hell. But Jesus took hell for us so we can have a relationship with God for all eternity. That's grace. Grace is not fair. Mercy is not fair. You can't earn mercy. You can't earn grace. It's something you can't earn. But Christ died for you even when you wanted nothing to do with him. He died for you. And that's the grace. And we're going to talk about that more as we go forward. That's the nature of God. Lord, we just worship you. We thank you for your word. We bless this week as we're gonna, as we go forward. We pray for our country. We pray for our president. We pray for our leaders. God, speak blessing on every household and every other nation. I know we have a guy watching from Uganda tonight, and so we just we just speak blessings on him in Uganda, and we just thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you, and we'll see you Wednesday at seven p.m. So.